Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, December the 19th, 2021. It is currently 4.16 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Empty Sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and welcome to a brand new week of Bible study. This morning at around 12.20 p.m., well, okay, I should say, not that, it started this morning. So this morning at 10 a.m., we worked on Isaiah chapter 9, and then by the time we reached Sunday afternoon, this afternoon, 12.20 p.m., we concluded our week-long study of Isaiah chapter 9. I hope it was beneficial to everyone. I hope you enjoyed the study. Um, I know two two plus hours today working on Isaiah 9. I, I really hope we were able to walk through everything to the best of my ability. I tried to do it part sermon, part study, part Bible study exercise. I, I tried to bring in a lot of elements and hopefully it was beneficial. I I think we did... I, I think we did a pretty decent job in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 9. I really do. And I, and I don't, I, and when I say we, we're all involved. All of the discussion, everyone doing the assignments, everyone partaking and, and, and conversation and, and, and asking questions. I think we did a, a very good job. And considering the, the amount of sermons that I've listened to in Isaiah 7, 8, and 9 over the past few weeks and just hearing how Verses were ripped out of context. Nobody worried about the historical context. In fact, I received an email today just to, just to show you. I received this email. Let's see, what time did I receive this email? Um, what time was it, if I can find it? Let me see here. Um, just give me one second. I didn't think about having the email ready to go. Uh, where is it? Where? Here we go. At 11.44 a.m. At 11.44 a.m., it says, I listened to Isaiah 9, part 6 this morning and chuckled to myself at your frustration at the lack of context surrounding the passage. Our church is on week three of Isaiah 9, 6, with each of the four weeks of Christmas centering on the four, uh, definitely not five, titles. This week was Everlasting God. The main takeaway, I need to have an everlasting perspective about investing in others' faith, spreading the gospel globally, not just nationally, giving generously, and the urgency of the gospel. I know nothing about the text, but I suppose I know what I'm supposed to do, maybe. All right. To me, a topical message using a passage of scripture as a jump-off point is the norm in most churches, concerns me for the future. All right. So here's someone today who was in church, Isaiah 9, 6, and again, no context, nothing, nothing. It's just, let's ignore all of the complexities and the names of, wait, who's this country and this king? And wait, who's invading who? And what, when is this judgment coming? Okay. We got these, you know, judgments happening at the end of Isaiah 9. Okay. What, what did they do wrong? How is this going to happen? Wait, what's this refrain that's repeated? All of the things we talked about in Isaiah 9. I think we, I think I can honestly say, I think we did a decent job. And that is not because of me. That is ultimately because of all of you participating, emailing me, doing the assignments. And that's what makes the Bible study exercise such a unique Endeavor is because the goal here is not just for me to do teaching. That's not unique. 
the goal here is to get the listeners actively participating in real Bible study themselves, moving them from an you know, passive listener to an active participant. I know some of you are rolling your eyes because you've heard this a million times, but I'm going to keep saying it and we're going to keep doing this and we're going to keep focusing on this going into 2022 and I'm going to double, triple down. I want people actually studying the Bible. It is more necessary than, I think 2022, it's going to be it's going to be more needed than at any other time. And, and I know you're saying, well, that you're, you're just hyping up your own podcast. I'm not trying to do, I put it this way. Forget my podcast. Stop listening to my podcast. Find a way to engage in meaningful, serious Bible study. Even if you're not using my podcast, it's about you studying the Bible because we have a Christianity that's being hijacked by every kind of ideology, politics, conspiracy, and Christians are not spending time truly studying and living in the text of scripture. So even if it's not my podcast, fine. But if my podcast can assist you in actually getting you to study the text, then I'm all for it. So we finished Isaiah 9. I Everything says we should go to Isaiah 10 because Isaiah 10, 1 through 4 is actually connected to the same prophecy there at the end of Isaiah 9. Um, but we, we, we can't do that because this week we jump from Isaiah to the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter two. Now, remember, we're following a curriculum. The curriculum is available to anyone and everyone. Go to theologycentral.net. You'll have to go, you'll have to go two or three pages down in the blog section. Look for the one that says daily discipleship guide and follow the link, sign up. It's absolutely free for you. Thanks to the support of many people who have listening, we've received a lot of support this week, and we're really, really appreciative of that. That covers the cost. And so they are helping provide Bible study curriculum to people anywhere and everywhere. So please sign up for it. We want you to use it. Don't be afraid that I'm going to take someone else's spot. Take their spot. If we need more spots, we'll up our subscription so that there are more spots available. You just use it. That's all what, what we want. But the, what we're trying to follow the curriculum because that forces us to look at texts that we may not choose for ourselves. And this week we're in Luke chapter two. And I'm not, I'm, I am going to disagree with the curriculum a little bit. They want us to cover Luke chapter two, four through 12, and then 16 through 20. I'm just going to give you Luke chapter two, verse one through verse 20. You've got 20 verses this week. I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. Shouldn't we take a break? I mean, it's Christmas week, right? I mean, what we, 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 we've got traveling, we got family, we got friends, we got mill, uh, mills to, to cook, we've got presents to, to, to wrap, we've got parties to go to, we've got get to, I understand it's going to be busy. I understand there's going to be a million distractions coming your way. Here's what I ask you to do. At the very least, just listen to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 over and over and over and over again. Again, if you have the Blue Letter Bible app, you just go to Luke chapter 2, tap on verse 1. A little drop-down menu will show up. It'll say, like, listen to chapter or audio Bible. Just hit it. It will play it for you. Just listen to it. And you can you literally set it to read the chapter to you seven times. Just listen to it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. But we are facing a major hurdle this week. 
a gigantic hurdle. Forget a hurdle. It's a gigantic wall. Forget. It's not even a wall. It's a gigantic mountain. Forget that. It's not even a gigantic mountain. It's, it's a force field. It's, I don't even know what to describe it as. It's something so gigantic, so impossible to get through that I don't know if we're going to be able to accomplish anything. All right. Now I know you're saying, wait, what are you talking about? We just made it through Isaiah seven, eight, nine. If we can make it through that, we can easily make it through Luke chapter two. And there you're stumbling upon the problem. The problem this week is it is Luke chapter two. This is not a situation where you're going to be, well, where there's all of these complexities and difficulties No, the text is going to seem very straightforward. And not only is it going to seem very straightforward, wait for it. It's going to seem very, very familiar. And familiarity breeds contempt. Whether you know it or not, you hear, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 And there's probably something inside of you going, you know what? I'm not even going to do the Bible study exercise this week. Who doesn't know Luke? There's going to be, you may not say it in such an arrogant way, but there's going to be a part of you going, ah, I'll wait when there's an interesting chapter. I'll wait when it's, you know, something in Ezekiel or Zechariah or, 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 um, Hosea maybe, or, or Revelation or, or Leviticus, or you, you, you've got these passages. You're like, I don't know a lot about them. Luke two, I don't need a Bible study exercise for Luke two. And the minute you feel that, that should scream at you, or it should almost serve as like a slap in the face. Oh, wait, I need Luke chapter two. Cause you need to humble yourself and realize that no matter how much you think you know, you don't know enough because, and you say, well, I know it backwards and forwards. It doesn't matter. I've studied and studied and studied and studied and studied the Bible. How many different schools have I gone to? It doesn't matter how much I've studied it. I realize that I, if I ever think that I've got it, I've got a grasp on it. Then I, then I have become so arrogant that look here, here's what, here's what happens. If I've studied the Bible and I reach a point where I think, look, I've already got it figured out. That demonstrates that I studied the Bible, but I didn't allow the Bible to do its work on me because if the Bible is doing its work on me, I'll never reach a point where I think, oh, I've got it figured out. I've got it understood. There, all I've been doing is studying the Bible. I've not been using the Bible to do the spiritual surgical work that it's designed to do. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's supposed to divide. It's supposed to open us up. It's supposed to do a spiritual work inside of us. But if all it does is make you arrogant going, look, I know it. I know it better than everyone. Then then you, I'm sorry, everything you've done has backfired and it's, it's actually hurt you. And I say that not in preaching to you. I say that as someone who's been there, done that, and I've got probably four or five t-shirt, t-shirts from going through it. So many times in my life, I'm like, well, I know this. I under, I, I know this better than everyone. And it puffed me up and made me arrogant. No, I need to approach Luke 2 going, no matter how much I know this, 
no matter how well I think I know this. Let me set aside everything I think I know. Let me set aside every presupposition. Let me set aside that familiarity and let me not approach this with an a feeling of contempt, but let me approach it as this is the inspired word of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that that it is through this scripture that I can be rebuked, I can be corrected, that I can be equipped unto every good work, that this is what I need, this is the, the, the spiritual food that I need to partake of, and this is what's been given to us this week. This is what's been served to us this week, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I know I'm doing more, I know my introduction here for this week of study is almost more of a warning and of a rebuke, because I guarantee you, you know it. You've been in church long enough, many of you have. Now, some of you may be new to Christianity, and you're like, whoa, what's going on? Trust me, you'll get there one day. Right now, Praise God that you're still new in the faith and you haven't become jaded and <laughs> and uh, apathetic because of your familiarity. It's all brand new to you. You're like, I don't even understand Luke chapter two. Awesome. Praise God. Your excitement and zeal can be very beneficial to everyone else. So you make sure you contact me and I will share your passion and zeal with everyone else who will be like, oh, Luke chapter two. Okay, I know the story. Okay, Even though we don't say it that way, you know you feel it. I guarantee some of you, if you're in church and the pastor says, open up to Luke chapter two, some of you may not even open up your Bible. You'll be like, I got this. No, you don't. You don't have it. It's God's word. Okay, you don't have it. Okay, you can't master it ever. It's God's inspired word. It's way above you. All we can do is study it and understand it to the best of our ability. And we can never allow our past understanding to blind us from our present study. So you got to set aside all of those feelings of familiarity. You got to set aside all of those feelings and hopefully approach Luke 2 in the, 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 the most fresh new way that you can. And when I say fresh and new, in other words, like you've never studied it before. And maybe, maybe before this week is over, you will see some things you haven't seen before, or maybe a great appreciation for it will appear, or maybe just your excitement will return. And then you can remove those layers of just being so jaded and cynical and yeah, been there, done that. It, 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 yeah, you just, you, you can't, you can't do that. I'll never forget. Uh, we, I think it was in base housing and there were some uh, kids who lived across the street. And I guess their parents took them a lot, a lot of times like to Six Flags, to, uh, to different amusement parks here in the state of Texas, right? And they'd been to them, I don't know how many times, countless times, I guess. And so uh, one day they were outside playing with my children and they said something like, uh, my children said, oh, you just went to, I don't know, Six Flags or Fiesta over Texas, wherever they had, they had just gone to. And they were like, yeah, it's boring, it's boring. Yeah. And my, my daughters, I have never forget them looking, I'm like, it's boring? Like, what? Well, because they hadn't been to those places over and over and over. But for these other kids, eh, whatever, I've been there. I've, rode, I've ridden that roller coaster so many times. It's, yeah, whatever, whatever. It, old, old news. Next, give me something more exciting. Now, that's sad that the kid becomes so jaded instead of being grateful and appreciative 
for what their parents were doing for them. They just now took it as old news. Oh, we got to go to the amusement park again. I'm tired of going there, right? And you're like, whoa, that's kind of like a, a spoiled kid. Well, sometimes as Christians, we become spoiled because we are so familiar and we know these stories in the Bible that we're like, eh, I know it. Don't let that happen to you, all right? Don't let that happen to you. There was a part of me, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I opened the curriculum, I'm like, Luke chapter two. I'm like, I'm gonna skip it. And then I was like, I was like, oh, I'm slapping myself. I'm like, what am I doing? Why would I do that? Why? And I know, I'm like, I know why I would do that because I know that here's what you watch the, the, the numbers for our study in Luke 2 will, I guarantee you, will be some of the lowest numbers we've ever had for a Bible study exercise. I guarantee you that some of the highest numbers were when we did some work in Revelation 2. Those were some of the highest numbers. Go figure. It's book of Revelation. Like I, I can almost pick the passage of scripture and go, that's going to get it. That's going to get, that's going to get the downloads. That's going to get the streams, but you can't do you. No, I'm not going to. I know I almost fell for it because I'm like, man, I'm going to put all of this work in Luke chapter two and nobody's going to care. Because there's a million sermons on the internet about Luke chapter two. So there's nothing new that I can offer. So nobody's going to be interested. Everybody's going to be busy. Maybe don't even do a Bible study exercise this week. See, but that's, you see, I had the wrong mentality. So we're going to look at Luke chapter two. All right. Are you ready? Luke chapter two, verses one through 20. Your assignment this week, I uh, to begin the week, should be pretty interesting. And it's going to be, but again, the benefit of the Bible study exercise, you only reap the benefits if you put forth the work and participate, right? So I, I hope you will, because I think, I think you'll get something out of this. So let's, I'm just going to start reading. I, I want to read all 20 verses. I don't know if I'm going to do that because I really want you to do that. I'm going to read just a little bit and then I'm going to stop and just, I'm just going to tell you what thought hit me when I started looking at this. And then I'm going to share an email that I received this morning. And I was like, whoa, you talk about God's providence. You talk about perfect timing. I thought it was so perfect. You'll see. All right. So here we go. Luke chapter two, verse one. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped, in, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I'm just going to stop right there in verse 7. Now, I don't know what jumps out at you. Typically in preaching, what jumps out at everyone is, oh, there was no room for them in the inn. And then you typically preach like, is there any room in your heart this Christmas for Jesus? 
Now, I am not saying that in a condescending, sarcastic way. I'm just saying that that's typically how it's preached. And I'm not saying that there isn't good application there. I'm not saying there isn't good application. I'm saying that there are some other things going on that maybe we overlook. But I think in 2021, I think it's a perfect time to look at it. What? And, and I w- well, if I had everyone here in the church right now, I would ask everyone, what jumps out for to you? What jumps out to you? I almost want to just stop this and say, okay, everyone, what jumps out to you? Email me at newsif at yahoo.com and let me know. Or if you're listening live, tell me what jumps out at you. Just, just sit here and wait and then come back. But I'm not going to do that. But I am interested, though. You can tell me what jumps out at you in those seven verses. Here's what jumps out at me. Are you ready? Okay, now pay close attention. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree. Stop right there. A decree, a decree is being made. Someone is decreeing that this is what, can we say a a law was being established? Oh, let me use this. A mandate was being put down. A mandate was being put down, right? And this came from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. A mandate comes down from the civil authority that everyone has to do something. I just, I just, I don't think we can just overlook that because it's so relevant to what's going on in our culture right now because we have mandates being issued by being handed down by civil authority and a lot of Christians are getting very much involved in, we got to fight this. We got to stand against it. We, we, this is not right. This is not just. This, this goes against everything. Well, here's, here's a situation where Caesar Augustus says, okay, everyone. You're all being taxed, right? It's a decree. It's a mandate. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And then here it comes. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. Wait, Joseph, come on, man. Don't give in to the mandate. Come on, this, this government is not godly. This is not a godly government. You should not do what they tell you to do. You don't know what those taxes are going to support. They could support all, what are you doing? Where is your, stand up, stand. These people may actually persecute religious freedom. Just fight them. Come on, let's, let's get a, let's, let, we, we've got to get a new, a, we got to get a new governor elected. We need it. We need a new, we got to stop this. We got to. No, Joseph just goes up with it. There's no, there's no like, this is great controversy. He's just like, okay, I, I, this is what I have to do. And he follows the rules. He follows the mandate. And by following the mandate, by following the rules, it brings them to Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he goes there to be taxed. It's really driving that point home with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Not only does he have to go, it's going to take him to Bethlehem, he has to bring his wife, who's great with child. And they end up there. So it's because of the government mandate that Joseph ends up in Bethlehem. Now, don't, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. 
I'm not, I'm just saying, I'm just telling you what happened. There was a mandate. No one can get around that. That's what it was. It was a decree. It was a mandate. You must do this. Joseph obviously goes along with it. There's nothing in the text about a protest, fighting, arguing. He just goes. Whether he liked it or didn't like it, he goes. That, the, the text doesn't give us any of these other things that we could, you know, insert into the text. He goes with his wife. And this brings them to Bethlehem, where is where he's supposed to be, because this is where it was prophesied the child would be born, the promised child, the Emmanuel, the God with us, the mighty God, all right? The Prince of Peace, all, all of the different... Uh, terms used in Isaiah 9, 6, if we go back to there, uh, it, this child is, is going to be born and is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. It's the mandate that is ultimately brings them to where the prophecy will be fulfilled. Now, just, just stay with me. The reason I thought this was interesting is this morning I received an email that says this. Politics and the manger. Jesus was born into a nation mired in political conflict. That's interesting. That, that, that's, that's interesting. Jesus comes into a situation where there is political conflict. Now, I th- find it interesting for a couple of reasons. Not only does Jesus come into a world like that, if you go back to Isaiah 7, 8, 9, the, the world at that time where the prophecies are delivered about Jesus is surrounded in political conflict, war, threats. Hey, we're going to get rid of you. All of that's going, there's, there's, there's conflict, there's war, there's political strategy all happening when Isaiah puts forth these prophecies of, well, Emmanuel. I think, and then Jesus comes into a very, into a situation, not exactly like we read in Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, but there's still much political conflict. Political conflict is as old as the civilization itself. The first, the first, the fight for power, profit, and self-determination has existed since Adam and Eve was chased out of Eden. The history of the world has been one of strife between families, cities, and nations. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, political tension and anger was rife throughout the then known world. Luke's version of the Christmas story begins with these words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Luke chapter two, verse one. On the political level, the decree of Caesar was the reason Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem where Jesus would be born. Whether he knew it or not, Augustus guaranteed the prophetic fulfillment of the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem. Now, this... this. You can say, well, that's the way it was supposed to happen. Yeah, okay, it was, but it still was a decree. It was a, it was a mandate. So what if Joseph would have fought? I mean, I know this is hypothetical, hypothetical. What if Joseph would have refused? What if Joseph would have rebelled? Now, obviously, it was preordained before the foundations of the world, Joseph would have ended up in Bethlehem one way or the other. It's just interesting that God utilizes that means in order to basically move Joseph from where he was right to, to get him to Bethlehem. Now, so you would all, all a part of God's sovereign plan. Now that we get into the sovereignty of God, we get into God's providence, we get into God's decree. Think about it. 
Was it Caesar Augustus's decree or was it God's decree? Whose decree was really working? Was it Caesar Augustus or was it God? Or was was God's decree that obviously the eternal son of God would be born in Bethlehem, was it that eternal decree that leads to, to basically God's decree that Caesar Augustus would issue a decree? Was it really Caesar Augustus issuing God's decree? Yeah, we get into lots of questions about God's sovereignty here, right? And I know, I know it's, it's, a, it's a subject that leads, I, 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 listen, I just think, and I'm just going to say this. I think so much of, of Christians today, their, their conspiratorial thinking, their confusion, their fighting, and all of the different, is almost an, a, a, a rejection, at least to some level, of God's eternal decrees, God's providence, God's sovereignty. I, I just, I think it's interesting, all right? By the time Jesus was born, the Roman Empire had extended its rule through, throughout Europe and North Africa, all the way to Palestine, to, they have Palestine in the parentheses, Israel. These various areas were governed directly from Rome by officers sent out for the purpose of keeping provinces, provinces under the hill of Rome. To ensure submission, there was a Roman military contingent charged with maintaining orders and reminding people that they were subject to the Caesars who de- demanded the worship of their subjects. So in other words, this is not an, an, a wonderful, nice government. It's an oppressive government, a government who may not care about your freedoms or your rights. That's where they found themselves. I just, I think that's very important to realize that's what was going on. The Jews hated Roman rule and with good reason. The people were heavily taxed for the benefit of Roman Rome and its citizens. One of Jesus' disciples was Simon the Zealot, evidently a member of a political faction that plotted to restore Jewish nationalism and throw off the Roman yoke. Yes, yes, Jesus was surrounded by political factions and hostility. Jesus was born in the midst of such hostility. This is very important. The, uh, the Pharisees plotted how to entangle Jesus with his words. So they asked him, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What a trick question. If he said no, he would be reported to the Roman authorities and charged with treason against Rome. If he said yes, he would be vilified by the people. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? And then after being given a coin with the image of Caesar, he made this famous declaration. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It was not about Caesar or God, but Caesar and God. For us in the United States, the heightened political rhetoric and the distrust and quest for power have reached new levels. Never before in history has a populace been bombarded with 24-hour news cycle filled with shrill voices, outrageous accusations, and blatant propaganda. We have not been down a path quite like this before. And frankly, now this was written a year ago, I hope that we can enter 2021 with anything that resembles national unity and a rational discussion about what is best for America. Now, let me stop right there. I love what they're doing here, but I hate that. 
as Christians, it's not, in a sense, what is best for America. It is what brings God glory, what push, what brings, what, what moves us towards the kingdom of God, what, what fulfills the great commission. That's what we are to be focused on, not what's best for America, because that's such a, a, a nationalistic approach. It's never about what's best for Israel, what's best for Rome. It's what, what is best for the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what you to seek first. Put your focus on God. It's, it's interesting. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar, under God what is God. You, you focus on God. You have to render what is to Caesar what is Caesar. And that may be taxes. That may mean submission to their authority and mandates. Of course, within reason, I'm not saying there is never a biblical time to withstand it or fight against it, but those are very clear, specific, extreme examples. Like they tell you to worship a false God or they, I mean, there's certain very specific things, but, but even there, I don't like that. Um, they go on to say that said, I'd like to, well, then they give, they go on with a, an interview here with Erwin Lutzer, the, uh, pastor of Moody church in Chicago it is an interview that we may want to read at some later point, but it got me thinking here about what happens. How do we understand the Christmas story in light of the political situation that takes place? Because it's just fascinating to me that the Christmas story takes place literally in the middle of a government mandate that no one liked or I should say that the Jews hated. This is why the, the, guess what the Jews wanted? The Jews wanted Jesus to overthrow that government. The Jews wanted Jesus to come along to be basically that political leader and that political ruler to take the government upon himself and remove the Romans. That's what they were looking for. They were not looking for a savior from their sins. They were looking for a savior from political leadership that they did not want. But Jesus didn't play that game. That wasn't what it was about. And Christianity is still not about removing the political leaders that we don't like to establish Jesus in the White House. That's not what it's ever been about. So this is very relevant that Jesus comes in the middle of this situation, just happened to come in the middle of a government mandate. The I don't know how we can get around that. I don't know how we can just ignore that part of the story. I know we can just get to, well, there was no room for him in the end. There was no room for him in the end. Well, isn't that amazing? Isn't that sad? I just think it's interesting that it's in the middle of a government mandate. Now, I'm not telling you anything about, because you can say, well, so what are you saying about government mandates? I'm not saying anything. I know that this is my focus. My focus is to render under Caesar what is Caesar and under God what is God, is God's. And what I need to give God is my worship, my devotion, my focus. I need to seek to glorify him. I need to try to fulfill the great commission. That's evangelism, baptism, discipleship, that we, that we are to grow spiritually. We are to, 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 to put off the old man, put on the new. We're to love our neighbors, love our enemies. That, that this It's just interesting that Jesus comes in the middle of that situation. I just want you to just meditate on what you think that means. I want you to just think about its implications. He comes in the middle of this. And it's, it's, it's look, we know that, that when, as he shows up, political leaders even want him dead. 
They even want him dead. Now, you could argue, well, wait a minute. Once they, in a sense, try to kill the child, then, yes, that's when the parents are told to flee and not surrender and allow the child to be killed. So, well, okay, obviously, when the government's seeking to kill you, all right, there there seems to be at least some ability to then at least run and try to get away from that. There, there, there's, this, this raises so many questions, but I just think it's interesting that this mandate, they go along with it. And it's the very mandate that brings them to Bethlehem, which fulfills the prophecy. So whenever we see a decree... Who's the one issuing the decree? Now, now the Bible brings in all kinds of situations. You can say, well, here they didn't obey. Here they didn't obey. Right there, they disobeyed. Yeah. But over here, they seem to obey. Wait, we're called to obey. And this, lead, and, this, and this leads to all of the debates and arguments within Christendom about what to do in every situation because everyone grabs, everyone will go to one scripture and say, see, that scripture says they disobey. Well, that scripture says to submit. Well, that one does. And then everyone argues. I think we have to just try to just see that Jesus came in the middle of such upheaval. But one thing I think was amazing, he rarely, he didn't really get involved in all of that, the politics. He was preaching the kingdom of God. He was preaching people to repent. He was preaching, teaching people how to live as citizens of the kingdom of God versus not, not trying to teach us how to live as citizens of this world in the sense of trying to change this world in a way to make it the kingdom of God on earth. It, it, that's not, that wasn't what he attempted to do. Now, if you believe there's going to be a kingdom on earth, well, Jesus will return and establish that. We're not going to establish that through our own political efforts. So I just think that that's interesting that that occurs right there. All right, now I'm going to stop. There's more I could say, but I want you to at least think of the political situation in which Jesus finds himself. Do you think it's interesting? Do you think it's relevant? What do you think we should do with it? Do you think it matters? Do you think it has anything to say to you in regards to everything going on in our culture in 2021, going into 2022, where it's only going to get worse? What what, what do you make of that? I just, I think it's somewhat fascinating. There's more I could say, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop right there. All right. Um, I was looking at the curriculum, but I'm not even going to, I'm just, I'm just going to, our introduction is just to, to do that. All right. Now, let me make it very clear this week, a couple of things. I don't know how frequently this week I'm going to, to record uh, Bible study exercise episodes. I may do a lot of this week of just kind of laying it before you. Here's what I want you to do. You can start meditating on what we've talked about today. I just think it's interesting. By all means, use the curriculum. Whatever you see, whatever you discover, or whatever questions you have, definitely email them to me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, because that can greatly determine, okay, I'm going to get back out to the church and we're going to address that. So by all means, participate there. You can email me. You can, if you would like, you can uh, join the Theology Central Discord group. If you go to Theology Central, uh, if you go to theologycentral.net, theologycentral.net, go to the blog section. There is a link for the Discord channel. You can just click on that. You'll have to download the Discord app. Should let you right in. It should be very simple. 
Um, that link will only be there for about 24 to 48 hours. I'm going to very, very much control, you know, I, I don't want it to be a free-for-all in the Discord channel. I want it to be very kind of like, here are the people who want to participate and actually discuss and talk about the Bible studies and, and other important theological issues. Keep it somewhat controlled where it just doesn't turn into craziness. So I'm only going to put the link there for a little bit of time. If you want to participate, by all means, if you're just looking to argue and debate, then just email me all of your <laughs> disagreements and your arguments because the Discord group is really for the people participating in the Bible study exercises and really trying to dig in and talk about that and, and, and about some other issues as well. We talk about a lot of things. But for example, in our study in Isaiah 9, uh, we realize that there's kind of a textual variant in the Septuagint. So we, we, I posted a link to a discussion about that variant um, and it's, and just different things like that. And the people have asked some questions and, and it's just, it's there for that. It, it's very, we want to keep it controlled. We don't want to turn it into a free for all. So if you want to participate, we would love to have you there. Just go to theologycentral.net, follow the link, and then it should let you in. And if you have any problems, email me at newsif at yahoo.com. And for anyone in who's already a part of that Discord group, hey, if you've got anything about Luke 2 that you want to start asking now, just start getting your questions and thoughts about Luke 2 in as soon as possible. I would tell you to outline it, but I don't even really want you to work on an outline this week. I just want you to spend some time like what we just did. I, for me, what jumps out is, wait a minute, this all happens because of a decree, because of a mandate, a government mandate, and Joseph goes along with it. Now, there's times clearly where there is submission, and there's times in the Bible where there is resistance. And the problem is, and this is one of the most difficult things about the Bible, is you can always find the verses that you can use to support whatever you want to do at any given time. And that's the danger of the Bible. It's like you can go, oh, wait, look at that verse. See, that verse supports what I want to do. Oh, you, you got to be careful with that. You got to take everything the Bible demonstrates on any given subject and then try to put it together, which can lead to sometimes struggles. So I just think it's interesting that the Christmas story happens because, in a sense, because of a government mandate. I find that a little bit ironic, but, I, but then it just reminds me of who's actually giving the decree. So how do we view God's sovereignty Here's a, here's a very important theological, philosophical question. How do we understand government decrees, government action, in light of God's sovereignty? That, that one, that'll want to melt your brain, right? That, that'll, that'll start causing you to get going, wait, wait, how do I, how do, how do I work that? Wait, God is sovereign. Government does things. Now, I'm not saying that, that that means we excuse sin because clearly God is sovereign, but God still condemns man's actions as sinful. So I'm not saying that that means government actions are, you know, not to be condemned as sinful. I'm just saying that we have to at least still understand them in light of God's sovereignty. So how do we... But there are still situations where because when they want to kill all the, all the babies, Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary are warned to get, a, to get away. Go, run, hide, get away. So they can't kill Jesus. Well, that's, that's them being protected and preserved, but they are, they, they're, not, they're not just turning themselves in. So like how there, there's these, these raise lots of deep questions, which are going to be questions 
that every Christian will struggle with going into a not only a culture that's moving more, further and further away from God, in many cases becoming more and more hostile to God, these are going to raise issues for Christians and the church. All right, so I'll stop right there. Hopefully that was beneficial. You can let me know. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Join the Discord channel, get the curriculum, all the other things we're always trying to do to get you involved in these Bible studies. And I know it's Christmas week. I know it's going to be busy. But if, you know, don't be so busy that before it's over, all you have to show for it is, man, I need some rest. I need a vacation because that was crazy. I had all this activity. I got a mess in the house. I got all of these bills. Don't get so caught up in all of that that you actually miss Jesus in the whole week. That would be horrible. So Luke 2, just listen to it, listen to it, listen to it, and just think about some of these very important issues. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great, great, great week. And I can't wait to see what you are doing with Luke 2, your thoughts, just any 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 thoughts you have. Um, I can't wait to hear Share anything because I, 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 I think that can really be beneficial for everyone this week. All right. God bless. Enjoy your Bible study.